Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Good to have you here this morning. We are thrilled that you have joined us. And I'm praying this morning that you've already been blessed. And if you haven't been blessed, well, the Holy Ghost is going to touch you here in just a few moments. I've got confidence that he is in the house and that he is going to meet every need. Amen. Go ahead. Give the Holy Ghost a hand clap. Amen. Sometimes when you prepare a message, you, uh, you plan on it to go one way, and then you start worshiping, and, and the songs are uh, speaking to you, and, and the Spirit starts speaking to you, and at the last minute, I, I, I felt like I was coming to deliver this, because I do have, uh, in, I do have a, a tremendous amount of notes for this morning's message, and I felt like I was just going to come and deliver it, but then all of a sudden, while we were worshiping, I... I kind of felt some prophetic unction coming on me. So I'm, I'm dealing with the Holy Ghost. So while you're looking at me, I'm up here wrestling with the Holy Ghost, if you're wondering what's going on. Uh, but last week, we began a new series of messages that we are calling Trapped. And this series is going to get right up in your face. You're going to be thankful it's only five weeks long. Uh, because we're going to be dealing with uh, some challenging concepts. As a matter of fact... My intention in this series from the beginning has been to get you loose. And, and when I say get you loose, I mean loose from things that have been holding you back in some areas of your life. Many of you for days, some of you for, for years, and most of us not even realizing it for an entire lifetime. You have been trapped in a lot of things that you didn't realize that you were trapped in. This morning's message is going to lay the groundwork for the next three the next three, we're going to deal with some very in-your-face kind of things because we're going to talk about being trapped in unfulfilling relationships. We're going to talk about being trapped in discontentment. We're going to be talking about being trapped because you don't know how to honor properly, honor other people in your life. And, and so we're going to be getting in your face. And this morning is going to be the groundwork for getting right and getting in alignment with God and His Word in order that we might find freedom. So are you ready to receive this word this morning? Amen. I hope so because I got, as in the words of the, uh, the New Testament prophet Jerry Reed said, I got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So this morning I'm going to be talking to you about the confusion that comes when you are trapped by things and trapped by stuff that you should have been freed from already. See, see, we're good in the Pentecostal church for the name and, 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 and name it and claim it and grab it and blab it stuff. Where we come to church and the preacher preaches us into an excited frenzy and we claim these promises that we find in the book, but naming it and claiming it don't make it reality. Believing it does not make it manifest in your life. So I can say I'm free all day long, but if I'm not walking in liberty, then I'm not really free. And I believe in, in having a positive attitude. I believe in, in, in you create your own environment. And, 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 and I believe in speaking things that are not as though they already are. However, some of us speak one lifestyle but live another. And then we wonder why God doesn't show up and give us and grant us the liberty that we are claiming, but we ourselves are what is throwing us back into the trap. And so my amens will be very few and far between, so I hope Sister Sarah will sit right there and pay attention because she's going to be my only help this morning. I have, a, I have a feeling. So let's once again visit the definition. We did this last week. I've narrowed it down to just one because this is the definition of trapped that I'm going to use for the remainder of this series. Trapped. To catch an animal in a trap. 
to prevent someone from escaping a place and have something, typically a part of the body, held tightly by something so that it cannot move or be freed. That is my definition. That is what I'm going to work with for the remainder of this series. Typically a part of the body that is held tightly so that it cannot move or be freed. Some of your lives have been trapped. Some of your hearts have been trapped. Some of your minds have been trapped. And the reason that you have not been able to move for a long time is because you have been trapped and did not realize it. See, God is constantly changing us. Some of us, He has to change kicking and screaming. Some of us, He has to put us in the worst possible situations to get us to change, but He is constantly changing us. He challenges us to change. He calls us to be something new. God loves you just like He found you, but He loves you too much to leave you that way. What that means is this. The work of change in your life is God's responsibility. But the desire for change is left up to us. In other words, God tries to change you, but if you're not willing to be changed, God's not going to drag you into a new life. You've got to get to the point where you say, I've had enough of this lifestyle, I want something new. And God has the ability to change you, the Bible says, from glory to glory. But he's not going to force you into change. He's going to present you the opportunities. He's going to put it in your face. He's going to make you step over top of truth in order to stay in a lie. But he will not force you to change. That means you have to make up your mind, I'm better than this. Somebody say amen if you were here for that series. So we know that God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere all the time. We also know that God is omniscient. What does that mean? That means he knows everything. See, he's everywhere and he knows everything. So he sees everything. Y'all don't want to hear that because he can even see in the dark. He don't just see you when you're in church. He sees everything. But he also hears everything. But I want to share with you something in the beginning of this message that I'll revisit at the end. There is a difference in hearing and listening. God hears everything. But there's a difference between hearing and listening. Hearing is a natural function of you having operable ears. In other words, hearing just happens. You can be sound asleep and hear your alarm. You weren't listening. You were asleep. But you hear the sound of the alarm. But listening is different. Listening is intentional. You tune in on purpose if you want to listen to something. You give your attention if you want to listen to something. You are interested. So you can hear things without listening to things. So it may surprise you this morning to find out that while it's true that God hears everything, God doesn't always listen to everything. He hears all, but He doesn't listen to everything. And Luke 15 has a story that in 25 years of preaching, I have preached through it so many times that I didn't think there was anything new left under the sun. I really didn't think there was any, any sermons left to preach about this boy. But here is an angle that I have never read, taught, or preached before. There was a man in Luke 15 who had two sons. One demanded his inheritance. 
He wanted to get his inheritance now instead of waiting until his father died. The Bible says his father granted him his wish and the boy ran wild. He spent it all and the money ran out. Unfortunately, he found himself in a far land, broke, and he ran out of money. He ends up working for a man who puts him in charge of the pigs. Huh? And he's in the pig pen waiting for the hogs to get done eating so he can wrestle them for their leftovers. Now, I am sure when this young man left his father's house with a pocket full of money that this was not what he had in mind for his life. I'm certain that when he got his blessing up front, boy, there's a lot of preaching right there. I'm sure when he got his blessing up front and didn't have to work for it, didn't have to fight for it, he just, he just grabbed his money and left his father's house. I'm sure when he got his blessing up front, this is not what he had in mind. If he was Jewish, we don't know if he was, but if he was Jewish, they consider pigs unclean. And he's in the pig pen, cleaning up after the hogs, after an unclean thing. I'm trying to let this settle. I don't know if you're with me or not. He's in the pig pen cleaning up after an unclean thing. Because why? Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. Now, I'm going to talk to you about this boy being outside the house. He is trapped outside the house. His father's house was where we find him in this story. He is now in a pig pen outside, trapped outside where he used to be, outside the blessed place, outside the clean place, outside the place where favor lives, outside the place where the anointing is, outside the place where he was destined to dwell. He's now trapped on the outside. So let's talk about why somebody ends up in the hog pen when he's supposed to be in his father's house. Well, first of all, if you're going to get into the hog pen, I, I grew up on Grandpa's farm. We didn't have a lot of hogs, but we would always raise two or three every year. Here's what I know about the hog pen. Number one, you got to have a gate to get in. You with me? You got to have a gate to get into the hog pen. Well, the gate to the hog pen in this story is going to be temptation. How do you end up outside of your father's house in the hog pen? The gate that leads you there is temptation. Now, there has been much said in the last decade about how temptation has, has been exemplified in this generation. And I've often been asked if temptation are the same today for kids than when I was young. And... and, and has really so much changed when it comes to temptation? I mean, kids today face things that you and I never face. But is temptation really any different? I mean, when I was a kid uh, and you wanted to smoke, there wasn't no vaping. You had to, you had to stink up your clothes. It, the teachers would know it if you was doing it. Mom and dad would know it because you'd get, you get smell. you get it in your hair, you get it in your clothes. I remember them kids outside always spraying stuff, trying to cover up, and, and what they ended up with was a, 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 an even worse stink because they were covering up a stink with another stink, and they were trying to get away with it. And, 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 so, and, and not to mention, when I was a kid, there was no uh, cell phone. 
So a whole new world of, of temptation has been opened up to this generation that I did not have because I did not have a phone with pornography right beside of my Bible app. Now, you, you, if you was going to access pornography when I was a kid, you had to do it the old-fashioned way. You had to go into a store and ask for it. They kept it behind the counter, and you had to humble yourself and embarrass yourself and ask for it. But now you get an app beside your Bible app on your phone, and nobody even knows that it's there. But those temptations are the same temptations I faced. They're the same temptations you faced. The only thing that's changed is the access. And I'm going to prove it to you biblically because in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 16, the Bible teaches us that there's only three temptations. There are only three temptations that any of us are ever going to face. Here they are. Lust of the flesh. That's what I feel like doing. The lust of the eye. That's what looks good to do. And the pride of life. And the pride of life is when I, I think I don't need God or anybody else to tell me how to live my life. Those are the only three temptations. Those are the three gates to the hog pen. If you're in the Father's house and you're wondering how you get drug out and into the hog pen, it's through one of these gates. There is nothing else. The devil has not invented a new temptation in 6,000 years of human history. This is all he's got. He used these against Eve in the garden. He used them against you this morning. And it's all he has at his disposal. There is nothing new under the sun. These are the gates to the hog pen. It's not a long list, but everything you struggle with, and everything that's trying to bring you to a lower version of yourself is one of these three things. These are the things that comes between you and a great prayer life. These are the things that come between you and reading your word, praising God, having convictions, and being loving and kind to other people. And the Bible tells us that when we are led astray, it's by one of these three things. You don't believe me? Go and read Matthew chapter 4. The Bible says that in Matthew 4, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. He went into the wilderness. Say the wilderness. He went into the wilderness. Why did he go into the wilderness? Because he had to go into the place where, his, where God's people failed. God's people were led into the, to the wilderness centuries before Jesus. And his people failed in the wilderness. And in order for Jesus to set things right, he had to have a rematch with the devil. So here comes Jesus walking into the, the, the same place where God's people had already fallen into temptation. And he had to be challenged by the same thing that those people were challenged by. So I want you to understand that the gates to the hog pen look like this. One of these three things are what you are being tempted by. And here's what Jesus teaches us when he goes into the wilderness. He's saying nothing has changed. It's the same temptation that they fell into way back in the garden. The temptation to complain is one of these. The temptation to be a rebel is one of these. The temptation to be offended and to live in fear and to have doubt and to be a critic, it's all the same and it falls under one of these three gates. If you have been led out of your father's house into the hog pen, you got there through one of these three gates. So Jesus comes into the wilderness and has a rematch. 
Adam and Eve had failed there. Adam, Abraham had failed there. Noah had failed there. Jacob failed. Moses failed. The children of Israel failed. You failed and I failed. Everybody that's walked into the wilderness has failed. So here comes Jesus. So there's only three gates. Listen, this is not complicated. All of you can count to three. I don't have a big, long, exhausted list. It's one of these three gates that has got you in trouble. It's one of these three temptations that has led you out of your father's house. And here's the way the devil operates. He comes to Jesus and he says, I know you're hungry. Jesus fasted for 40 days. He had not had a bite to eat and the devil comes to him and says, I know you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. You know what he's saying? He's saying satisfy the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. And the devil comes when Jesus is hungry. Look at your neighbor and say, be careful when you're hungry. Uh, I promise I'm about to teach you something. He comes to a hungry man and says, satisfy yourself. And he says, I know you're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Can I tell you that if the devil can find you hungry, he will always try to get you to turn something into something else that it's not supposed to be. That's why you got to be careful when you're hungry. Because when you're hungry, you will start taking compliments from people. When you are hungry, flattery tastes real good. When you are hungry, when you are hungry, you've got to be very careful because the gate to satisfy yourself is open wide and you start listening to the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye more than you start listening to the warnings from the Father. You have to be very careful when you're hungry because when you start taking compliments and flattery, you'll start doing things to impress people because flattery feels real good to an emotionally hungry person. Mm, Why do you think Paul used so many times in the book of 1 Corinthians these excuses about husbands and wives? He says you got to take care of each other because Satan will use that against you. You've got to be there for one another because Satan will come in and wreck a place. Uh, Y'all not going to help me this morning. Why does he try to present something to Jesus to meet his own needs? Because that's the same way he tries to get you and me. If you have a financial problem this morning, he's going to try to offer you a way to meet your own need. He may try to get you to steal something. Or he may try to talk you out of tithing. Because you're trying to meet your own need. If you've got pain in your body, he will offer you an option. Snort this, smoke that, take this. But he won't tell you that that thing's going to become a problem in your life. And you're going to end up as an addict down the road. He's not going to tell you that. He's going to tell you that right now you can take care of your own need for a moment. If you're starving, if you are hungry for affection and for love, he will offer you sex. And do not be fooled. Sex will feel just like love for a while. Because when you're hungry, y'all not going to help me. We all grown-ups in here. When you are hungry, stuff that's not supposed to be, you will turn it into. I know you're hungry. Turn these stones.
bones and the bread. But here's the problem. If you escape loneliness by falling into lust, you will eventually become a slave to the thing you ran to. See, Israel ended up in Egypt. They escaped Egypt. But what brought them to Egypt in the first place? There was a famine. They were hungry. They ran to Egypt when Joseph was in power because there was a famine. When you get hungry, you make stupid choices. And hear me, hear me. When they got to Egypt, they ate quail. They ate garlic. They ate good. Don't you think for a minute that just because the devil is doing the cooking that it won't taste good? It will taste amazing for a while. But you won't realize that you are becoming a slave to the thing you ran to. <sighs> Jesus goes into the wilderness and the devil said, I'll get you just like I got Jacob. Just like I got Isaac. Just like I got Lot to move down to Sodom. I'll get you too. Turn these stones into bread. And Jesus said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. So the devil thought, well, this is going to be harder than I thought. I didn't get him with the lust of the flesh. Let me try the lust of the eyes. So he takes Jesus high up on the mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And let's clear something up before I go on. The devil does not have to take you up onto a mountain or into a wilderness to show you temptations. Sometimes the devil just puts a little voice in your head. You ever have those moments where you imagine stuff that you've never done before? And you think, I, 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 where'd that come from? Have you ever felt pulled to a thing so strongly and didn't, could not realize why you feel pulled to something? Maybe something you've never even done before. Maybe even something that you've not participated in, but it's in your mind. Y'all not going to help me. All y'all holy people come out of the womb speaking in tongues. Y'all ain't never been addicted to nothing. I had addictions to things I hadn't tried yet. I had lust for things that I had not yet done in my life. I'll get to that in a moment. I'll teach you a thing. If you'll stay with me, I'm going to teach you why those things happen in your life. You ever had those moments where you imagine stuff that you've not done before or temptations that you thought you had overcome already? You'll see stuff in your brain. You'll have imaginations and a desire to do terrible, awful things where you're like, where did that come from? I don't know why I feel drawn and pulled to this thing. Here's what the devil did to Jesus. He said, bow down and worship me, and I'll give you everything that you see. Stupid devil. Trying to give Jesus stuff Jesus made. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was made was made by him, and nothing that was created was created without him. So Jesus was there at the creation, made everything, and now the devil's offering it to him. And Jesus said, it is written. You shall only worship the Lord thy God. So the lust of the flesh didn't work. And the lust of the eyes didn't work. So he tells Jesus, he takes him up on top of the temple. He says, throw yourself off the top of the temple. Surely your daddy won't let you hurt yourself. In other words, he said, hey Jesus, show off a little bit. Let's see what you got. I got you challenged now. I want to see what you got. Does God really love you that way? If you throw yourself off, do you have faith? Where's your faith at, Jesus? 
If you throw yourself off, where do you think you're going to land? Do you believe your father's going to show up? That's the pride of life. That's the pride of life. Y'all not going to help me? Look at me. Like my picture. The pride of life. Needing accolades from other people because you've not tapped into the one who loves your soul. That's the pride of life. See, I didn't have Facebook growing up, but the temptation has always been there. The temptation has never changed. It is the three. These are the three gates to the hog pen. So the question is this. Listen, I've walked into places before. You ever walk into a room and hear what's going on in there and say, nope. Like, have you ever walked into the room and heard your mom, like, really chewing one of your siblings? And you're like, nope, not me. Uh-uh, nope. I wasn't invited to this party. So just because you go through the gate don't mean you're supposed to end up in the mud. So, so just because one of the temptation gates led you out of your father's house, so here's my question. Why do some people love the hog pen? Why do some people love the hog pen? It is stinky, it is dirty, and it is undesirable. And nobody is sitting in their father's house playing Xbox and all the while thinking, boy, I'd really like to go mud wrestle a pig for some leftovers. Why would anybody leave the comforts of their father's house for that mess? Because once he's got you through the gate, if you don't know, learn how to resist him like Jesus did by using the word, you will find that the mud is tough to get out of because it gets deeper the longer you stay. So Grandpa and Grandpa had a 40 by 40 somewhere in that neighborhood lot for the hogs. But the whole, the whole uh, lot was not the pen. There was a wallow. And the wallow was the deep mud. The wallow was where the pigs liked to stay. I could go in and feed the hogs and not get my shoes dirty. Because if I went into the pen where the trough was, I could feed the hogs and water the hogs and get out without getting muddy. But if I got near that wallow, because the farther you go into the pen, the deeper the mud gets, and the harder it is to remove yourself from it. James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 says, Temptation comes from our own desire, which entice us and drag us away. You want to know why the mud is so hard to get out of? Because your temptations, the things you like. Listen to what that said. Stop blaming the devil. The temptation is what you like. That temptation has been birthed into you. It is your own desire, and they drag you away. In verse 15, these desires, look what it does, gives birth to sinful actions. And here's going to be the rest of my sermon. And when sin is allowed to grow, we know why you're trapped. When sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth, and the baby's name is death. So the longer I tolerate the mud, the deeper it gets. So I'm going to throw you a curveball. You ready? But pastor, aren't all sins the same? 
one sin's not worse than another sin. Well, yes and no. Listen to what Jesus said about Judas. He said that when Judas betrayed him, he committed the greater sin. So how could his betrayal be a greater sin if all sins are equal? Is driving too fast the same as betraying the Son of God? No, they're both sins, but one is, has much more effect on your life. Oh, it's getting quiet in here. I like it. Listen to what Psalm 32 and 5 says. This is David. I acknowledged my, say that word, sin to you. I did not cover my, say that word, iniquity. I said, I will confess my, say that word, transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Look how David separates these three things, transgressions, iniquities, and sin. This shows us that there are three different things in one verse. All sins that are not repented of will bring death. Hello. All sin that you do not repent of will bring death. But some sins are more perverted than others. Some sins have greater and more damaging consequences than others. And some sins will demand a higher punishment on the day of judgment. Wow, it's quiet in here this morning. The Bible uses three primary words to describe the increasing degrees of offense. Sin, transgression, and iniquity. I'm about to teach you something. Number one is sin. Sin, in its basic definition, simply means miss the mark. If you would, it's actually an archery term. Shooting a bow and arrow. Miss the mark. But here's what you think. You think that if I miss the mark, it means I didn't get it in the bullseye. But that's not what Romans teaches us about sin. Romans 3 and 23 says, For all have sinned and come short. In other words, sin is not me shooting an arrow and missing the bullseye. It's me shooting an arrow and my arrow don't even make it to the target. It falls short. So sin is falling short of God's Word. We all sin and come short of the glory of God. Let me teach you something about sin. Sin can be intentional. It can also be unintentional. Sometimes you break God's law without even knowing you're doing it. That's why sin is the entry level. It's, it's ankle deep mud. It's a problem we all find ourselves in from time to time, but it's not going to drag us to death. You can actually sin without even knowing you're sinning. And sin is not even just doing something wrong. According to the book of James, sometimes it's not doing what we know we're supposed to do. That is also sin. So sin is entry level. Transgression is a whole other problem. Because transgression means to intentionally disobey or willfully trespass a command. Now we're getting into our waste in the mud. Because repeated sin becomes outright rebellion. It's quiet, so I'm just going to act like you ain't here. 
sin can be accidental. But doing it more than once is a problem. When you start wondering why do people stay in the hog pen, because the mud gets deeper the longer you stay. The more you commit the same sin without repenting of it, because repent doesn't mean say I'm sorry. Repent means to turn around and go a different direction. The longer you stay in sin, you're trapped. Sin is not the end of the world because the Bible says that he gave us full pardon for our sin. Sin is not the end of the world. Sometimes you can sin without even knowing. How's God going to make that a big problem in your life? And it's not. The problem comes when you refuse to deal with it. And sin turns into transgression. It's when you know you're doing wrong and you keep doing it anyway. Transgression is more powerful. You're stepping into deeper and deeper mud now, which eventually will lead you to bondage. You're trapped. And what's bondage look like? Well, we call this baby iniquity. I don't have time to get into this. Iniquity means twisted. Iniquity means twisted. It is a perversion of the truth. And it is a twisted attitude. Catch this. This is when you start planning to sin. You premeditate sin. You book the hotel room. Y'all not going to help me. It's quiet in here. You didn't just fall into iniquity. You can fall into sin. Somebody cut you off at Walmart, you tell them they're number one. That's the flesh. That's a sinful nature coming out because maybe it's a little too close to the surface. But you don't plan a hotel room, lie to the spouse, make up all kinds of excuses and cover stories all over town, that's more than sin. That is you knowing you're wrong and covering your tracks. This is a problem. We're in deep mud now. Because iniquity is twisting and it is a perversion of the truth and a twisted attitude that premeditates and makes plans to commit sin. By the time you get to iniquity, iniquity is your second nature. You have stopped being like God and started being like the sin. Micah chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Woe to those who plan iniquity, to those who plot evil on their beds. Iniquities can be passed down from one generation to another. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8 says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. See, this right here, this verse, this explains the difference between sin and iniquity. If you got mad at somebody and cussed them out yesterday, God is not going to visit that to three or four generations of your family. But iniquity... That mud, that affects more than just you. See, if you sinned yesterday, you don't have to worry about that showing up in your kid's life. But iniquity, iniquity affects more than just you. This is the way high blood pressure gets passed through generations. 
This is the way alcoholism gets passed from father to son and from mother to daughter. This is how sexual perversions get passed from family line to family line. Jealousy and anger and fear. These are all passed from generation to generation. This is the reason things like racism and greed and idolatry run through families of generation to generation because we stayed in the mud too long and we have now passed from sin to iniquity. David got himself in trouble and he went up on a roof one day and he saw a UFO, an unclothed female object. And David sinned. You know what his sin was? You know what the initial sin was? The Bible says he looked upon her. So he's on the roof and there's a naked lady on the next roof. Taking a bath. You can't help what your eyes see. But it's that double take that gets you. The Bible says he looked upon her. So he saw her, and his option at that time, that's not sin. He can't help what his eyes saw. His option at that time was, I better skedaddle. Or, whoo. She is hot with two T's. Bible says he looked upon her. He did the double take. It's the second look that gets you. But how many of you know that lust is a sin? And if he would have stopped with lust, he'd have been much better off. But when his lust after Bathsheba turned into a non-repentant sin, he got deeper and deeper into the mud. Let me give you a demonstration. I got a picture from my neighborhood I want to show you. This is a picture I took in my neighborhood. Do you know what you're looking at? Some, some of y'all say like a garage door and some of you said like some weeds. Can, can you uh, zoom in for me? Now if you look closely, do you see a seat, a fender? How about a tire? That is a riding lawnmower. That has been totally overtaken by weeds. Okay, I go out and run, bike, or walk every day, and I have watched this thing happen over the course of the summer. While I'm out on my walks, I walked past this, and this riding lawnmower started out sitting on top of the grass. Now you can't see the lawnmower because the weeds have taken it over. What's this got to do with you? Lawnmowers are supposed to cut weeds. And this is what happens when you let things go too long. When you won't cut down things in your life that you should cut down, it will soon get out of control because if you won't overcome it, it will overcome you. Sin left unchecked eventually becomes iniquity. And iniquity gets visited for three and four generations. See, David continued committing greater and greater sins. Lusk led to a scheme to get her in his bed. 
which led to her becoming pregnant through adultery. Adultery led to lies and a scheme to commit murder, which eventually gave birth to murder. So iniquity takes a, it refers to a willful, knowing transgression of God's law where what you want becomes more important than what he wants. And listen to what David said after he repented in Psalm 51 and 2. He says, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David realized what I'm trying to teach you this morning, that he had let it go way too far. Iniquity is always below the surface. Can I teach you, a, 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 before I get out of your way, can I teach you something about iniquity? Iniquity is below the surface. That's why in some families, daddy was a drunk and all the kids are drunk. Uh, there, there was a lust devil in three generations and, and that lust devil is still showing up. Why? Because iniquity is always below the surface. Sin is what you see. So we are hard on people who struggle with sin because we look at the sin because sin is what's on the surface. When somebody steals from you, you see it. When they use drugs, you see it. When they get drunk and fall out in the, at the family reunion, you see it. But if you're only dealing with the sin, the hidden iniquities under the surface keep you in the hog pen. And you can try to modify behavior but if you don't change the iniquity, you're still neck deep in the mud. So we get stuck on trying to figure out the what, but the real problem is not the what, it's the why. And if we don't deal with the why they do what they do, we're going to stay in the deeper mud and be trapped. Iniquity leads to rebellion, no fear of God, unnatural affections, and a depraved mind. I don't even have time to deal with abominations. Abominations is the next level. It's the worst kind of iniquity. The word abomination is used exclusively to deal with things that God considers disgusting and absolutely will not tolerate them. And I don't have time to get into them because I gotta get, I, I'm already way too deep into this. But I want to show you the answer out of the whole pen. You know the verse. You just didn't know what it was telling you. Isaiah 53 and 5. For he was bruised, wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his I want you to notice the order. Peace and healing only comes after transgressions and iniquities are dealt with. Because I see people all the time on Facebook naming and claiming blessings that they don't deserve. Because they ain't serving the Lord and they're not living for Him. But they, every time they get sick or grandma gets sick, they want to go on there and claim healing in the name of Jesus. But as long as you are operating in iniquity, you will never find real peace in your life. And healing will elude you. 
And that's why some people come to church and they get saved and they keep coming all the time, but they wonder, why is my life always upside down? Why am I always fighting the devil? Why don't I ever have any peace? Why am I always upset and can't seem to ever really find happiness? Why do I always run back to the stuff that I said I was done with? It's because you haven't dealt with iniquity. You've tried to behavior modify yourself and get rid of the sin, and I'll stop doing that on Friday nights. But that's not your problem. Your problem is you're still way too deep into the mud. Your iniquity is underneath the surface, and every time you get stressed, instead of running to Jesus, you run back to that mess. So what does it look like when we receive this kind of forgiveness of Isaiah 53? Let's go back and finish the story of the son. Are you ready? How many of you know he ended up in the hog pen and it wasn't anybody's fault but his own? He ended up in that mud himself. And while he's sitting in that hog pen, dirty, smelly, feeling depressed, he starts thinking about the father's house. He remembers that even his daddy's servants don't have to eat after the pigs. So he decides in his brain, I'm going to go back home. And he prepares this big speech. Let's read it. Verse 18. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. And I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. But keep reading your Bible. And verse 20 says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now, this is the time when the son is really getting ready to lay it on thick, right? He's going to give his big speech. He's going to repent. He's going to tell his daddy everything that he did wrong and tell him all the details. And verse 21 says, the son says to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He said, Father, I've made way too many mistakes. I'm not worthy to be caught back into the family. I just pray you'll let me be one of your servants. But the father heard him. But he wasn't listening. Because right in the middle of his big speech, telling his daddy how worthless he was, the Bible sticks a butt in it. And do you know what it means when the Bible puts a butt in it? It means that everything that was said before that butt don't matter anymore. It just got canceled. And verse 22 says, but his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening up. we got to celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine that was dead has come back home. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Can't you hear this son saying, Dad, I'm trying to tell you how unworthy I am, how sorry I feel, but you're not listening to me. The father heard him, but he wasn't listening because all that matters was when you get out of the hog pen is that you make it back home because the father don't care where you've been. He cares where you come. And we do the same thing with our heavenly father. Constantly telling him how sorry we are. How we blew it again. How we didn't live up to his standards. Oh God, I haven't had enough faith. I wasn't everything I should have been. I didn't raise my kids right. 
I don't see how you could ever love me again. Let me help you. Because most of the time, when you're talking to God like that, you're wasting your breath. You're not worthy. Let's clear something up. You're not worthy because of anything you did or didn't do. You're worthy because of what Jesus did. And you don't have to prepare some kind of speech to try to get God to forgive you or convince Him to let you back into His house. No. He is quick to forgive. Folks will hold stuff over your heads, but your father, he's seen the son coming from a long ways off and ran out to meet him. God don't even wait till you make it all the way back in the house to run out and meet you with mercy and meet you with grace and shower you with love. Folks will want you to come back in and prove yourself. The Father just cares that you ain't in the mud anymore and that you have made your way back home. He is quick to forgive. Why do you think the Bible says that His mercy is made new every day? So when you, go, when you make a mistake, and you will, go to your Father. Ask for forgiveness. And move on. Stop trying to pay for your sins. When Jesus already did that. Stop bringing up all your failures. Can I tell you God does not have a file cabinet in heaven full of your past transgression? When God forgives, He deletes the file. And He remembers it no more in His house. Can I tell you that one of the hardest things for me to receive as a Christian was forgiveness? Because coming up in holiness, I found out that the church was a lot better at telling everybody what we was against than what we was for. And I had a hard time coming back to the Father's house after I had been in the house and then fell away and ended up in the hog pen. See, this son left his Father's house and ended up in the mud. And I had been conditioned to think that if you failed God once after you'd come inside the house, that you weren't welcome back in. But the story here tells me that the older brother didn't want him back. And the younger son felt too ashamed to come back but the father, the father wanted him back the whole time he was gone. And I read in my Bible, Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 16. You know what? The devil used to make me feel guilty for every time I did something wrong. I would feel guilty to go to my father. But he messed up and let me read Proverbs. Because Proverbs 24 and 16 says, A righteous man. Stop right there. It don't say a sinner man. It don't say a messed up man. You mean to tell me a righteous man can fall? No, I ain't saying that at all. I'm saying he can fall again and again and again and again. A righteous man. A man can fall seven times and God still call him righteous? Well, if that ain't a kick in the teeth for the devil, that means that no matter how many times a righteous man falls, you pick yourself up again because God didn't kick you out of the family. He doesn't write you out of his will. He Not only does he let you back up, he runs to you and welcomes you and says, It's party time! 1 John 1.19 is the first scripture I memorized when I got into church. We confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who do you think that scripture was written for? Whoever needs it.
If you've been saved a minute, not ever been saved, or been saved a hundred years, that scripture is for you. Because the Father's house don't have a drive through window. He wants you inside the house. You don't pull up to your daddy's house and say, well, I committed a little sin this week, so I'll just take a blessing off the value menu. Oh, God, I really told off my co-worker this week, Lord. I guess I'll just stay out here in the hog pen for six months until I paid for my sins. And the whole time, God is hearing you, but he's not listening. Because when you try to make up for your own mistakes, what you're really saying is that what Jesus did on Calvary wasn't good enough. It was good enough for everybody else, but not for me. So you're telling God, Lord, let me tell you how sorry I am again, Father. God, let me pay for this one. I really need to get up on that cross, Father, for a little while. But the price has already been paid, and it wasn't paid halfway, and it wasn't just paid if you're a good Christian, and it wasn't just paid if you never make a mistake. I wish I had a witness in this church that knows there is no balance left. He paid it all. Your sins, your transgressions, your iniquities, he cleansed you. He'll make you righteous in the Father's house, come in the house, come back home. Stop being trapped outside his house. You got your big speech lined out, hanging your head, ready to tell God how unworthy you are, how you don't deserve to be blessed. But get your head up, the Father's running your way. Bible says the son made this decision while he was sitting in the hog pen and it changed his whole life. He said, I will go back to my father's house. He was saying, yeah, I've made mistakes. I let my father down. I brought this trouble on myself, but I am not going to sit here in this filth anymore and let one bad season ruin the rest of my life. I'm going home. Nowhere in your Bible will you ever read where the father brought up his past again. He didn't hold it over his head. He didn't put him on a guilt trip. There wasn't judgment, only mercy. When the father could have been upset and say, I told you so, he was kind. When he could have been in an argument, there was a party. What keeps a lot of people away from the father's house is they got the wrong image of their father. They imagine if they come back home, there's going to be all this guilt and shame. But what they don't know is if they come back, the father's about to throw a party. How much time have you wasted being down on yourself? Trapped in the mud outside the house feeling guilty for all your past mistakes. Telling God what you don't deserve. That is a lot of emotional energy that is not accomplishing anything. Get in the house. The devil would love for you to have not made it to church this morning because he has been using guilt and shame to club you over the head for decades. I didn't raise my children right. I went through a divorce. I had to file bankruptcy. I lost the house. I was in church and then I backslid. And while I backslid, I got out on drugs. And while I was on drugs, I ended up divorced and remarried and divorced and remarried. And I've got all these mistakes and I carry all these. And every time you come into the Father's house, you come in the gate, but you don't ever get into the house because you feel like the shame and the guilt are too much for you to bear. But I 
come here this morning hunting the devil because I want somebody in this house to know the Father is running out to meet you. He is not ashamed of where you've been. He is excited about where you are. Come home. Come home. Come home. And right now, I prophesy over somebody that has been carrying a mess for far too long. This is the day of salvation. You're going to leave here lighter than you walked in. You've been coming into the church and sitting in the seat, but today you're coming into the Father's house. Because so far, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, you have been trapped outside the house that stops that stops here and that stops now I came here to set somebody loose and I don't know who you are and I don't know where you are if you're on the floor or in the balcony or out in the hallway or in the nursery but this altar is for you somebody needs to come home he did not waste my effort and energy this week wrestling with this word for you to stay trapped outside the house. I know you've been in church, but today, today you are going to get inside the house because the guilt and the shame and the hurt and the agony that has been keeping you on the outside, I'm rebuking it in the name of Jesus. Before you ever get to this altar this morning, you are going to devil loose them and let them go. So who am I talking to? My God, Pastor, if I walk up there, everybody's going to think it's me. We'll know it's you. And the Father's about to have a party. And all of us are invited. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to look at you funny. I'm going to celebrate with you. My God. In the, Your Father's waiting. Come home. <laughs> Church, celebrate. Put your hands together for every person. They're not just coming to church. They're coming in their father's house. Shh. Pastor LaShawn, Pastor uh, Ryan, Sister Deidre, Brother Mark, Sister Nancy, you guys want to come up here and help us? Pastor Jerry. Woo! Devil, you should have stopped me before I read Proverbs. The righteous fall seven times, but they get back up. Do you smend it out of